1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: The School of Cleveland Ballet is now accepting auditions for both their trainee and summer intensive programs. Their training program is open to male and female dancers ages 18 to 22 and offers opportunities to perform alongside Cleveland Ballet at their home in Playhouse Square and in productions during their regional tours across Northeast Ohio. Cleveland Ballet's home theater, Complex Playhouse Square, is the largest performing arts complex outside of Lincoln Center. School of Cleveland Ballet's summer intensive program is open to dancers ages 8 through 22. The program runs for four weeks where dancers will participate in daily classes in ballet, point, conditioning, modern, jazz, character, Spanish dance, and more. As part of the program, there is housing, food, and transportation available, as well as workshops in nutrition, injury prevention, makeup, and more. Auditions for both programs are by video and do not include any audition fees. Audition by March 31st, 2022 for the trainee program and by March 16th, 2022 for the summer intensive. Visit clevelandballet.org for complete audition and program info or click the links in the description of this episode. We want to take a moment to direct your attention to a group of 15 dance brands who have come together to help raise funds for the Red Cross Ukraine Crisis Appeal through their raffle that is going on now. Raffle tickets start at just $2 and enter you to win over $600 worth of dance prizes. A hundred percent of the proceeds are being donated to the Red Cross Ukraine Crisis Appeal. Entries close on March 18th, 2022 at midnight Eastern Standard Time. More information is available at dancespiration.store or click the link in the description of this episode. Before we get started with our episode, we wanted to remind you of a few ways that you can support and connect with the podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever you are listening. You don't even need to leave a review. You can just go in and give us a five-star review. It really helps us continue the podcast growth and is greatly appreciated. Also, don't forget to connect with us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Conversations on Dance and Twitter at Convo on Dance. Sign up for our email list to receive an email notification each time we release a new episode. Click the link in the description of this episode to sign up now. Now, let's get into COD. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro.
3: And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today on Conversations on Dance, we are joined by Janet Elbert, the Artistic Director of the Martha Graham Dance Company, and Wild Up Musical Director Christopher Roundtree. Janet and Christopher have been working together to revive and re-envision the choreographic works of 20th century giant Martha Graham and their accompanying musical compositions. They talk to us about their process in re-envisioning these works, how they attempt to inhabit the minds of the creative geniuses who bore them, and why these works are still relevant to audiences today. The Soraya Performing Arts Venue in Los Angeles, California, has been an integral part of these restoration projects and will be the first to present the latest project, The New Canticle for Comedians, a reimagined upgrade to a gram work that was almost entirely lost. The premiere of New Canticle is this March 19th. If you are in the Los Angeles area, you can find tickets at thesoraya.org. So thank you both so much for joining us this afternoon. Um, We've been, Janet, we've had the pleasure of talking to you before on our podcast, and Christopher, we're so eager to hear about the work you're doing right now with Janet. Um, But before we get into that, can we just get a little bit of background from both of you, um, how you came upon your respective art form, and um, what that looked like in terms of um, guiding you into professional career?
2: Janet, we'll start with you.
4: How I came upon dance in my life, Um, (laughs) Captain Kangaroo, which you all probably don't remember as a children's show in the 50s, had a treasure house ballerina, and I just told my mom that's what I wanted to do and started once a week ballet lessons in Detroit, where Mm -hmm. I lived, and I went to the Interlochen Arts Academy, my parents were on the faculty there, where I got four hours of dance every day with my high school training, I went on to Juilliard, I was introduced to the Martha Graham style and technique at Juilliard. And from there went into Martha's company and just kept going.
3: (laughs) I love this, uh, the two minute abbreviation of Janet's entire life.
2: (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Christopher?
5: And uh, for me, so I I grew up in an ashram um, in Santa Monica, California, and uh, I was chanting and meditating as a little kid. And so classical music was pretty out there for my entire family, but um, I started singing choirs in school. I played violin as a little kid and hated it because it hurt my neck. Um, (laughs) I was was like, I was an aspiring pianist. And then I couldn't practice enough um, as a little kid. And then I somehow found my way to the trumpet and then the trombone and the euphonium and I became a brass player. Mm. Um, And so I'm a brass player, which is perhaps a dirty secret. <laughs> um, uh, but, but, but I had played a violin and piano as a, as a little kid and I loved making music with people. And I loved the, I think the social part about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in high school, I decided I wanted to teach. And so I went to school for education. And honestly, this is a, this is true. Actually, I, when I was listening to Philip Glass, all of my, like all of high school, just driving around my Toyota Camry. <laughs> um, I just like listened to Einstein on the beach until I couldn't take it anymore. Um, and then I, but I, I, I hadn't heard Beethoven until I got to, to college. And so I kind of learned about classical music and in, in, in a way kind of in reverse.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, and, and then I kind of got the conducting bug at some point in, in, uh, in college. And then I realized once I saw, like, I met other conductors, I was like, well, I'm not like these folks, but I don't know how, probably because they started conducting when they were like 10 Right. <laughs> um, at least if they were in Europe they did uh-huh. but but also that I, I kind of felt like an art school kid so so as it's turned out I've made this career where most of my work is are collaborations in fields that are not necessarily cl- in classical music yeah right which
2: we're definitely here to hear more about that's for yeah. sure right. um Janet let's uh pop back to you for a second and talk about how your directorship of the Martha Graham Dance Company came about
4: Wow, that's. Um... A checkered past mm-hmm. um oh, you know i danced with the company all through the 70s and as a guest artist in the 80s and mm-hmm. then went off and did some broadway shows and some television shows as an actress and um after martha's death the company um never really focused on who and what they were going to be after uh they the loss of a genius
6: mm-hmm.
4: um and fell into financial troubles and Legal troubles, and um, in the 2002, um, the organization emerged victorious out of a couple of court cases that challenged her copyrights and her the trademark of her name. And I was asked to organize our archives, which at that point were about 85 years of everything in the world, from sets to costumes to ballets, photos, mm-hmm. scores, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, began our uh, licensing business, and then in 2005, took over as artistic director, overseeing that business. What we we call our resources, our archives, and our licensing. The Martha Graham School, which is the oldest school of modern dance in the country, and the company, which is the oldest company mm-hmm. of modern dance. Um, was of, there of any kind of dance was in, there any sort of plan
2: at all f- in place for martha's passing and what would come next or was it really just completely everything was caught off guard and you guys kind of had to pick up the pieces and decide where to go from there in terms
4: of the there work. was no there was no plan yeah. in place mm-hmm. uh, martha had a uh, associate artistic director who was um uh, not uh trained arts administrator or Mm -hmm. artist of any kind, and um, was just kind of running the company on a wing and a prayer, and um, there there really wasn't any plan for it. And at the time, modern dance of the 20th century was um, just thought of as kind of old you know, it's just old stuff. Right. Modern dance was all about the future. All, every generation rejected what the past generation had done and moved into the future. Mm-hmm. So um, we had this uh, body of work, our core collection, which really was undervalued.
6: Mm-hmm. Um,
4: the the whole field needed to uh, think about, you know, what we were gonna do with our past. So that that kind of, when i was when i took over as artistic director that was kind of a p- not only martha graham dance company was in the position of having to reflect on the value of our 20th century works but the entire field really had to um, start valuing valuing its past
3: right yeah I, i'm very eager to get into the work both of you are doing together to um you know bring value to that very um important past But before we do, I'm kind of curious to hear, um, firstly, Chris, what your relationship to dance has been prior to this collaboration? And then Janet, what your relationship is to music? I mean, I think for for dancers, it's very quite rare that you would dance to silence. I mean, you always have some sort of rhythm. So music is almost inherently tied to dance. But of course, music can exist in many, many, many ways without dance. So Mm -hmm. uh, let's have Chris go first.
5: Um, I'm, I'm a terrible dancer I'm absolutely <laughs> and weddings terrify me for the same reason. <laughs> um, and, uh, although I guess I've been called a balletic conductor before. Um, oh. so I think there's a certain, there's certain types of conductors who, uh, I mean, the other way to say it is overconducting. So, uh, so, you know, some conductors are incredibly economical and some like me, um, move quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and and so yeah, certainly that that word's been used. I guess is,
2: is that like a choice that you make, or is it just something that comes very naturally to you? And it just the mu- music quite literally moves you.
5: Well, I think I, I'm sure it's. I, I imagine it's similar for dancers. But at some point, you stop thinking about the technique and you start acting. Mm-hmm. You just start existing, and and um, right. and, I'm, and the technique is always there. And I'm always like considering my occipital joint and considering how much tension, you know, like considering how free and available my neck is, so that I'm not ruining my back and ruining my. Tr- you know traps and lats Very and stuff so but but so so, so i'm aware of the body uh-huh. but um but then but when i'm thinking about the score it's it's no longer technical it's something where i just kind of like i'm trying to just be in it and what that's meant is that my you know i've kind of lost all of the things that my teacher my teacher taught me my my first teacher is jonah, jonah carnero who's um from lisbon and she she conducts in this way that is totally swimming. She's always kind of doing the breaststroke and she always, she, I mean, I I rarely use a baton and she, and she always does, Mm. but there's this kind of like lilting that she does with her arm. Mm. And, and I, and the teacher I had right after her, who is also her teacher as well, um, a guy named Ken Kiesler. Ken is very clear and it's all about clarity and um, quite American. He's from the French kind of lineage, but, but it's quite this American style. So I've kind of somehow defaulted to my earliest training, and I've gotten kind of more. I'm swimming more as I as I age, I guess. So. You no, know,
4: Chris. Chris is definitely dancing. We we worked with Chris just back in October, and uh, the dancers were watching him um, in, during a rehearsal, and he uses the same leverage off the floor that dancers do. I mean, his oh. entire body is involved with the music and with, um, you know, transmitting the beat to, right. I don't know the terms yeah. for this, Chris, to the orchestra, but yeah. it's, it's totally leveraging the floor the way a dance.
5: Oh, would. that's great to hear that. It's, it's all physics and it's all breath. Yeah. You know, I think like with the way that I, I'm a brass player. So I, or I was many years ago. So I, I always think about breath, even for string players who, do, who of course are, are breathing as they, as they take their attack as well. And, and, yeah. and so constantly it's, I'm uh, you know, in that mode and, and, and using same. physics to do. It.
4: I was just going to say, yeah, I bet Martha thing.
5: Graham
2: dance
4: dancers think about breath here and
6: there, don't they? <laughs> of, course, of course. I was going to
4: say dance is the same thing. It's all physics and breath.
5: Yeah. so similar. Here we are. We're meeting <laughs> in physics and breath. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> so Chris, what was your first introduction to then conducting for dance?
5: Yeah, I, I, um, so in my senior recital in college, um I said we should stage some pieces. Um and so we did an Appalachian spring, uh, which in which there was like, I mean, it had nothing to do with the gram choreography whatsoever. I think it oh. was like somebody like rolled someone else was rolled in a tarp and they carried them across the stage. It was like, you know, I went to the dance department, and I said, like, who wants to make some work? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh, as one does. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I, I think it like involved like a funeral of every single one of my dancer friends at that, you know, not, not an actual funeral, but on, yeah. on, on stage. Um, and then we, and so, and I also have my senior recital, we did Straminsky's Octet. and we, we have, There was a choreography for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I hadn't conducted for dance for a long time. I did a show with Diavolo. Uh, dance company is that's in Los Angeles um, at the Soraya, which is also where where uh, I've collaborated with Martha Graham Dance Company and Janet mm-hmm. um, over the last five or six years, um, and uh, and and then after that, you know, uh, Thor, who runs the the venue there, he said, "Hey, you should you should meet Janet, and we should talk about this a project together." Oh, um, it's definitely, that's, that, that's the beginning of our
3: relationship. Right. I wanted to to know about that, um, to to know how you came to know one another and then collaborate, but. Um... So let's go. Let's rewind for a second and talk about this like magnis- magnificent archive that the Graham Company has. You know this rich history, um, but Sandy was kind of a wake-up call when there was a lot of um, these wonderful archival costumes and footage and photos just completely lost. So, so what was your reaction to that loss, Janet? And how did you seek? to um, kind of, I guess, prevent further loss and then bolster what was still around.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I think we should probably clarify, you're talking about Superstorm Sandy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just for anybody out there who no. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't know what Sandy did to us. We we had all of our uh, archives um, down in the basement of the building where we mm-hmm. have our studios and they, they were underwater for uh, almost two weeks. <gasps> So um, it was, uh, I don't know where to begin. It was devastating. It was hard work. We were down there once they pumped enough water out of there. We were down there practically in hip waders and hazmat suits, pulling over 5,000 costumes out of the water. And fortunately, um, the Smithsonian and uh, many other organizations around America sent um, conservator. Type people to uh, New York to help us to help the city um, government with the files that were underwater down at city hall. And, and they said, just send those, they're wet already, just put them in the washing machine. And so we, we managed to um, salvage everything in order to copy it. If mm-hmm. it wasn't wearable, again, we could copy it. Right. Um, fortunately, our films and photos were on the second floor. So we didn't lose um those mm-hmm. important records of our work but our naguchi sets and oh. um you know all sorts of posters and um i, I don't uh, software mm-hmm. uh equipment theater equipment so um yeah it was it was really devastating and but we did not miss a performance, we borrowed costumes from companies who had licensed our ballets and quickly loaned us things so we could put things together and um, uh, sort of got through that next year, mm-hmm. and, and applied to FEMA grants and began reconstructing things as quickly as we could.
2: Wow, my goodness. So. When did you guys, let's go now to, um, your collaboration and now Thor has introduced you at the Soraya. You guys have initially met. What is, are your first conversations? Like you've had this tremendous loss of records and some work, and maybe that's in your mind, Janet, what are you guys kind of talking about and thinking about how you can work together?
4: You know, Chris, I think the first time we met, it wasn't really reflecting on our losses in terms of of our musical scores. Mm. I think um, we worked together first in what, 2017? Or um, it was several years after Sandy. Or perhaps
5: perhaps even before that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Um, So I think that that first coming together was just um, the thrill of, Working with with you, Chris, with live music, and to have someone who is so simpatico to the idea that Martha Graham uh, commissioned work for several decades. She only worked with new music, Mm -hmm. and she worked with some of the greats of the 20th century. Not only Copland, but Hindemith, and Manati, and Chavez, and you know Barber. It's a long list. So, Mm -hmm. and Chris, I mean, you can take it from there. He was just so attuned to what that really meant um so it was a thrill for me
5: yeah. well i mean the, the history of american you know new music and certainly 20th century music but it's but it gets completely intertwined with martha graham mm-hmm. um, and so and we you know we owe her and the company i think like an incredible debt in giving us these remarkable pieces um and are some of our some of the most important american classical music like full stop
3: Right. Um, mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. And, and so, and so we, you know, we all, as classical musicians, we all grow up with that experience and with that knowledge. And then, so to be able to engage with the company, is like, you know, at the feet of the guru, it's like, how do we, how do it's like, Oh, here we are. This is, this is like the promise, the promised land in a way. And, yeah. you know, mm-hmm.
4: this work. and I think <laughs> as we moved forward, you know, and began working with each other almost every season um, and Chris got to know our rep better, and I tried to mix up the rep so that you know audiences would have different experiences um I think Chris you began to realize more and more that uh, that our musical archives were teetering a bit needed we needed new yeah. recordings um we we needed uh better archival uh systems and mm-hmm.
5: right. Right, and I think also we, I remember you and I had lunch during our first kind of time together, like our first week together. And you brought up the archive in that in that time. I and mean, that was a, that was, there's like a lot of forethought. And you said, well, our 100th anniversary is coming up soon. Mm-hmm. And and that, that like, we're thinking about our archives because of that and because of Sandy. Um, and in a way we started ideating about this archival work um, that we're now gonna be so engaged in.
6: Mm-hmm. Um, uh,
5: we started thinking about that right away from the very first thing so you were you had your eye on you're like
6: (laughs) i
2: see
5: see the future it involves some new recordings and stuff
2: Mention's Dance Theater of Miami returns to the South Miami-Dade Cultural Arts Center's Lab Theater March 12th and 13th with another exciting salon program featuring an insider's glimpse at five works, all in different stages of progress, being prepared for premiere later this year. Their program spotlights the work of four cutting-edge neoclassical and contemporary choreographers with an insider's look at the process. This popular program of dance and discussion will be followed, as always, by an open floor question and answer opportunity for the audience. VIP tickets include a post-show cocktail reception with the artists following the Saturday, March 12th performance. If you're in the Miami area, get your tickets now. For tickets and more information, visit DimensionsDanceMIA.com or click the link in the description of this episode.
3: Can you tell us about some of the first um, major revivals that you worked on together? Like what, what, what were the reasons you chose these pieces? Was it because you thought they would be easy to salvage or because they were most at risk of being lost? Tell us about what that that thought process was like from both of you.
4: I think it's a little bit of everything, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, uh, some of the recordings we've been dancing to were probably made in the Mm -hmm. seventies.
5: Some have a, have, you can hear the record player. Like you can hear that the record has a yeah. warp. Right. Um, and some are the type of recording that basically has one stereo microphone in the room and everybody aims at it.
2: Mm, which of course um, is
5: so, not the way so, it's done anymore. <laughs> yeah. And so now, you know, so we're, now we're, we're usually in recordings, we're engaged in uh, certainly dozens and dozens of channels of microphones um, right. and, and also some editing and all sorts of other stuff. Um, in almost every recording, so so it's a, a much different kind of sound quality for sure. Um, and there's a beautiful, there's something beautiful about that. You can hear the the past, and the, you can hear the technology of the past sure. right. in those. But also, then also, you know, if that clarinet is out of tune, like they're out of tune forever, <laughs> and we and we, and we couldn't like listen and go like, let's do another one, right? Right? Or what if like everyone do that, and then clarinet don't, and we'll do you can play it ten times afterwards, and we'll just get the right yeah. Right, so in right. s-
2: in some cases, is this the only? Thing you have of this particular piece of music, just one recording, is—is is there any sheet music? Like, what is available to you when you're looking at something with an out of tune clarinet and the record going up and down? Uh, well,
5: so, well, yeah, Jenny, you wanna jump in? Oh, I was no,
4: you go ahead because sheet music is there because music mm-hmm. publishers are much more organized than dance companies.
5: <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> I, mostly, although some, you know, are the thing we made during the pandemic. Was Immediate Tragedy, which was a, mm-hmm. um, a solo from 1937, and it was a there was a score from Henry Cowell, and there was the first and second page of the score, which were like a prelude and an interlude, and then the piece Immediate Tragedy was just lost. And I think you I think you you know you had the manuscript there at the at the offices, but only for the first and second page, and the piece itself was gone. And so I tried to channel Cowell, and I just wrote a new one. <clears throat> um I mean it's, it's not Cal it's certainly me but I knew okay. what the key signature was I knew what the meter was mm-hmm. um and I kind of knew what his I know a, a bit about what his music sounds like so certainly I tried to be in live in that space sure. but that was our first kind of making something brand new that reviving something that was old
4: right. You
3: know.
5: right
2: and what did you have of the dance for that work was there record of that
4: we one of the reasons we decided we could do a credible reinvention of it, I can't say it's a reconstruction, is that uh, uh, we recently discovered a large group of photos that were taken of Martha dancing the solo in 1937 wow. from the front row. A guy was dating one of her dancers and was allowed to sit in the front row and snap uh, uh, photos of the entire performance. An immediate tragedy was on that program. So we not only had, you know, 25 photos or so of it, we had the contact sheets and we knew what order they were in so we could kind of see when the poses happened you know you can never really know exactly sure. what she did if there's no film mm-hmm. but it was inspiring enough that we thought well we, we've got to do something with this okay. archival material
5: also the, the the top down graph of the piece as well
4: yeah somebody had made a skycam map of her staging pattern somebody her her production designer in Bennington in 1937 evidently watched a rehearsal of performance with his pencil on a piece of paper and he just followed her pattern around the stage um, and I found a photo of it in an old dance magazine so we knew that she entered from upstage right we knew she did a lot of diagonals we knew there was a square um, in the middle of the stage so and she didn't exit so we got some information off of that too right
3: so janet are you then responsible for filling in those blanks the way that chris um uh you know cr- c- uh, composed an entirely new score in that vi- vein
4: yeah i did i did for immediate tragedy right. i i decided to channel martha as best i could
2: that's so cool yeah.
3: <clears throat> i love that I, I think this is like the work you're doing is so important i i can th- think of other instances where um Dance figures are treated a little too preciously. And then the pieces end up being lost entirely. And I just think like something like Martha's legacy, it's much more important to uplift it through these sorts of, um, you know, the the way that you're uh, breathing new life into it. Uh, it, Like you said, we can't reconstruct it, but we can reinvent it and still pay homage to it and not lose it. And I think that's just so beautiful
2: we were talking with chris offline before the interview and we were talking about how sometimes it can feel scary for some organizations to try to reconstruct something when they don't have very much information um maybe they think that it seems it would be you know wrong to call it the exact thing but i think it's you guys are are not saying we created this solo again you're saying it's a reinvention of it so how are you kind of explaining that to audiences how are you sharing that this is something different like you are Trying to maintain what you can, but it's still not the very original. But it's the best that you can do.
4: It we do program notes in the in the credit listings. We we say choreographed in 1937 by Martha Graham, reimagined choreography by Imagine. Janet Elber. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, yeah, we've we've decided reimagined is really the right word. Right. Um, reconstruction right. or restaged makes it sound like it's really the real thing right right right, right. things are, are not yeah.
3: um That's great. Can, can you tell us about the project you're working on right now which is um a is it a reimagining of the new canticle of comedians how, how is this different from the last project like uh, do you have similar types of information more or less
4: no it's completely different uh, michael because we're not trying to reimagine what martha graham did right mm. we're using her blueprint we're just using the title -hmm. And the idea for Canticle for Innocent Comedians, the work she did in 1952, which was her celebration of nature. And she created eight vignettes for the stars of her company titled uh, Sun, Moon, Stars, Earth, Water, Wind. Uh, The last one was Death, Rebirth. Um, And it was well received considered to be magical. Paul Taylor said when he saw it as a student, it was the reason he became a choreographer.
6: Um,
4: But there was no film except for the moon vignette. We have Martha Graham's choreography for the moon vignette, and we'll be using that. But we've, um, you know, been commissioning new work for over 10 years now, and mostly experienced name choreographers. Mm -hmm. And we were sort of itching to work with some up and coming, the next generation, find a way to support them. So we decided to give, um, to commission a different choreographer for each one of the vignettes. And um, we have a lead choreographer who is um, sort of bringing the whole thing together, giving Mm -hmm. it some cohesiveness. And that's Sonia Taya. Mm -hmm. She'll do the opening dance, the closing dance, and the interludes between these vignettes. We have Martha Graham's Moon duet, and we have uh, Michaela Taylor doing one, and the Aline sisters from the UK, Juliano Nunez, who's based in Germany, um, Inouye, the Chinese choreographer who's in New York, Jen Freeman, who's in New York. I'm hoping I'm not leaving anybody out, but um, (laughs) it's, it's, um, uh, and The wind vignette will be, has been done by Sir Robert Cohan. Um, He was the original dancer in wind in 1952. And I asked him to create a new vignette for us, which he did in 2019. Fortunately, because he passed away just last year. So we've, we've got one of his last pieces of choreography. So it's such Mm -hmm. an eclectic group of artists and creative types um, with Chris's and Thor's recommendation from the Soraya. We reached out to Jason Moran, the mm-hmm. the wonderful jazz artist composer. Um, and he's, again, in a cohesive move, creating one score for the whole thing. At one point, we even talked about having different composers for each vignette, but then we oh, thought that wow. would be too crazy. <laughs> sorry. that's a long it's a long story, but it's hard to describe. That no, that's what thing.
2: we want to hear all about it It's so fascinating yeah, yeah. I,
3: I want to go on a detour for a second just because I'm curious um Chris like in the in the music world like uh would can you think of instances where there are there are things projects like this mm-hmm. going on like I don't know is there a Tchaikovsky uh symphony laying in a in a Russian archive yeah, somewhere well, that well, you know
5: I, I mean, cer- certainly, we're, we have a lot of stories like that. Wild Up is the group that I run and I founded mm-hmm. uh, twelve years ago, and we're engaged in a big project um, of, of an American composer named Julius Eastman. Um, and Eastman died in nineteen ninety, and it's a very, it's 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 a different story, but it's a, but it's a, um, it's a similar story. Um, East, Eastman was his works are all polemics; um, they're really incredibly progressive. Um, he was gay and black and, uh, and his works in the seventies all have really, really inc- incredible titles, like gnarly titles, like the N word isn't a, is a bunch of the titles. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, these pieces are for any disenfranchised person. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. But he was evicted at his house in New York in, um, in 1982, the winter of 81, 82. Um, we don't know what month and all the scores were thrown into the snow. <gasps> But he had a practice of, and they're beautiful. They sound like Steve Reichenfeld glass. And, mm-hmm. and some are more modern, but some have all this beautiful minimalism of them, about them. Um, so the scores were, many of them were lost. He made some archival recordings. Mm-hmm. So we have recordings, but not scores. And then we have some scores. He would write love notes to his friend, friends, he would say, for you. And he would mm-hmm. write, you know, write a, write a note for them and give them the score. And so we have his scores just because he wrote these love notes on the mm-hmm. scores and gave them to his friends right um wow. so so while well, is certainly we're working on it. we're like part of our work in terms of documenting the work is making archival recordings the big part of our uh the you know everything we're working on is uh, in that recording area is archival right um wow. so certainly Anisman is the probably the, the the most similar um analog to this right. as well um although be albeit you know much more recent uh-huh. actually. Um, so just in the eighties and nineties,
2: and this was, um, work that you were doing prior to meeting up with Janet, which is the, is that why the, it made it such a simpatico relationship for you guys?
5: Perhaps so. Yeah. We, we started working on this project back in 2012, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then really in earnest in about 18. So we, gotcha. we got the idea to, to, to like form it into something that was, that would be, it looks like seven years worth of, um, right. anthology recordings. Right. So.
2: so what are you doing specifically on this project? The Canticle project?
5: Yeah, so Wild Up's not in Canticle, but we're mm-hmm. doing a giant, we're doing this like hundred minutes of music where we're making new recordings for Graham uh-huh. at the same time. Mm-hmm. So um uh so yeah, so we're playing Chronicle and some other things on on that program, uh on the program with Canticle.
2: The right live now. performances, and correct? Live.
5: And then and then we go into the studio. And, uh, and we're in the studio for you know, two weeks and we make a ton of new, a ton of new recordings. Um, wow. and, and also it's, it's going to be pretty thrilling to be, you know, to have that, to be like, if the tempo is this and it needs to be this, and also now finally we can have it be what it needs to be Right. in so cool. this moment, you know? Um, and of course we can fix all of the fidelity issues about the recordings in terms of the sound quality.
3: Right. Quick question, is Chronicle as hard to play as it is? for the dancers to dance. <laughs> it's
5: actually quite easy. It's really oh, easy. Oh, I, no. I know. They're, I, they're, you know we, what we found is most of the moments where I'm like, let's do it. Let's do it. This is easy. Let's do it. Let's do it. Are all the moments that it's like the tempo must remain absolutely up and down. Right. And do not speed up because <laughs> something is here that is incredibly, terrifyingly difficult.
3: Yeah. For the dancers. So. Oh my gosh. I love that work. It's it's. Then I saw Leslie the first time. That was the first time I ever saw It live and Leslie was just I just couldn't believe like how challenging it was and she was so wonderful um but it was okay then that that's that this is another great subject another path to go on is um conducting for dance I mean are there moments where you're just like you want like you feel um taken like you want the music to take you a different direction and you you have to just you know,
4: admit it, Chris. Talk oh. about Appalachian Spring. Talk about a- for, no, for you sure. want to do that opening slower. Oh, I, want, I want that
5: opening to just be like sunrise, and we just sat and watched every single minute of it. And it took mm-hmm. as long as it took, instead of like, no, the sun comes up and we're meeting the characters now. We got, yeah, we have a few acts We gotta we we move, move
3: this around. Through.
5: Let's keep, let's get this show on the road. Um, which is our you know and and the th- I, you know, the job of a conductor is always negotiation that's what that actually the job is like half therapy half negotiation a little bit of and then a lot of like rehearsal planning sure um and you know like did we bring all the drums for this that kind of stuff yeah um, and how are we going to use every single minute because you know uh, it's it's really tricky with musicians how to, it's just it's our schedules are always too tight mm-hmm. so the negotiation part of it you know it's I know it's the same way with dance. I can imagine it's the same way. It's it's like everybody to get into the room. Everyone has to be an Olympic athlete and be just an absolute A plus player. But what that means is, of course, as you get better and better and better and better, you get more self-sure and more self-sure.
2: You and have so, opinions so, down there, people of with course, opinions. Of course, yeah, of <laughs> course. doesn't happen and in so, dance at all.
5: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh. And so we've got, you know, we've got between 30 and 80 people, depending on what the show is, usually for stuff, it's about 30. Sure. Um, we, we have 30 people in the pit, all with a different opinion about how something is going to go. Right. And I have to kind of negotiate so that we all agree on it. Mm. Um, and then and you have the also, dancers
2: needing something else.
5: And that's it. And then I'm like, oh, I think it's this. And it's just not, it's just simply sometimes not that. And the dance always wins. And it doesn't mean that we don't push sometimes, we don't push back. And you know, and I, and um, Pierre Boulez is one of the great conductors and composers of the 20th century. Um, Boulez always said, he would teach young students, he would say, when you speed up, contemplate slowing down.
6: Mm. When
5: you get louder, contemplate being softer. Uh-huh.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: And you'll have a more metered and more beautiful kind of transition to those things. And I think this is what we get is, I want to do the beginning of Appalachian Spring very slowly. And, and it's very simple. Like it does need to just move. Yeah. And, and those two things in relationship to each other creative, you know, can, can create something that feels like that. Um, you know, like like when you're moving your arm in water, it has, mm-hmm. there's resistance between the two choices, what's needed and the, and the choice that I can't make. Right. And that those two are in relationship and the audience of course, doesn't know that, but the players, they're playing with a different touch because of it mm-hmm. they can feel both. And I wonder if it's there on stage as well. You know, hopefully I'm not, hopefully it's not ever too wrong that it causes a problem.
3: Yeah.
4: Yeah. I I mean, it's similar to what the, sorry, what the dancers are going through in the opening, going about in Appalachian Spring, because they've got a very simple, slow walk, um, hopefully not too slow, depending on Chris. (laughs) But at the same time, the story of Appalachian Spring is about a wedding day. And in order to get everyone's motor going so that it's not lugubrious walking, um, we talk about the anticipation that the the characters are all coming into the scene with a great anticipation and excitement, even though they're simply walking mm. right. about what's about right. to happen. So there's that two-sided thing that has to be there um, to, just to kick the whole thing off in the correct yeah. way. Yeah.
3: Right. I, I was going to, ask chris um I, I staged a ballet at indiana university and we had two wonderful pianists that had never played for dance before and every time i would say like just shave like a little bit of the tempo off you get like half was yeah. there an adjustment yeah. like like to musicians like is there just a an inherently like bigger range that you can play faster or slower as your the human body can only go so fast or slow
5: for sure. I mean, we would sit, Janet and I often sit uh, at, a, at a laptop and I, and we'll have a question, you know, Janet will be giving me a note or something from the night before. And then we watch it on the video We'd not, not the night before, but from the archival
6: mm-hmm. you know,
5: mm-hmm. we'll watch it. And then I'll just clock it with my metronome right in front of us.
6: Right. Mm. And
5: I'm like, okay, so it's, it's 88 here. Could we afford 86? Like, could, right. like, could I do 82? I know I can't do 60.
3: Uh-huh. Right. <laughs>
5: You know, but so, so we have, so we have that we 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 find the range. Right. And then, you know, it's up to me to have the recall
6: mm-hmm. say
5: to, to place it within the range. Um, I think without that type of study and that type of going over and over the, the choice, mm-hmm. um, it can, the, the, what happens with music I've, you know, at least as I found it, um, conducting certain musics, they sit at four or five different tempi the right way. Mm-hmm. And so you get these kind of like little ledges. Mm-hmm. Where this could work in any of these three places, but you really can't work in a, in a fraction less. Right. Right. It has like a pocket, like there's this kind of middle section of Appalachian Spring. There's this one spot where like, wow, 144 really feels great. Right. And like, really, it can't be 144. And for other musicians, it's so easy at 144. It's very hard. Right. right. So there's that little difference and they ever have this little bounce and it's just so simple with their bow. And the other one is like quite specific and it just mm-hmm. engenders a different kind of playing. So it's convincing all the players that that slower tempo, the touch can still be similar.
2: Ah, oh, that's interesting.
3: I, I love that because we, we had moments like doing complicated scores, you know, at, at Miami City Ballet. We often danced to Stravinsky. And I remember one time the conductor told us, told some dancers privately because Everyone was you know, complaining, we want it faster, we want it faster. And it was just like this, whatever instrument it was, just couldn't that was very technically demanding for them. And so that was our turn to kind of scale back. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Funny.
2: Yeah. I wonder how often are you both um, referring to archival footage for the tempo? Like, Janet, do you at all think, you know, Martha, maybe did it this way, but maybe we could speed this section up. I would like to see that. Or do you really try to stay true to her intentions?
4: We, uh, well, there's a couple of different answers to that, but we try to stay true to her intentions. Mm -hmm. Um, However, her intentions, she, created things until she was 96 years old so she often made changes and adjustments in the course of her long career certainly dancers the facility of dancers changed every decade and and she loved that and when corporate they could move faster they could jump higher so there were many adjustments but there are other things like again back to our recordings diversion of angels for example when i danced it there are are three different couples in diversion of angels, the couple in yellow, kind of sprightly teenagers, couple in red, more lyrical passionate, and the couple in white and I was always the woman in white and that role um was the slower, more mature, not in the rush role mm-hmm. and when I came back as artistic director, we were using a recording that did not really accentuate the difference in these three couples right. and particularly though the white couple is dancing much too fast in our mm-hmm. current production In our current production we've been dancing too fast for 20-25 years with that recording that wasn't really right but it was a good recording and they decided they had to use it the older the other one was degraded or whatever right. so my, it's going to be my great pleasure to go into the recording studio with Chris and restore that original um, tempo. tempo for the white couple in particular, because it's essential, really. I believe to to really the 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 poetry of the work. Yeah, right. I really love that. I
2: wonder too. Um, Janet, what you will be doing. You mentioned you're going to be in the recording studio, and obviously this has been such a collaborative process the whole time. So tell us what that collaboration will look like in the recording studio, because I think maybe people might not appreciate what a big deal it is for you guys to have this opportunity to have musicians playing exactly what you want so that you can use this beautiful, high-quality recording.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, we've, Chris and I have kind of had a mind meld over the years we've been yeah. working together and I don't want to ask him for anything that destroys the musicality of a piece mm-hmm. and he wants to uh, make it work for the dancing. So we'll be, yeah. we'll be working that out in the recording studio. Mm-hmm.
5: It's, it's an incredibly rare opportunity to do this. And it's, it's a, it's a huge undertaking and it's tons and tons of hours and just lots of the way we prep for a recording is not the way we prep for something live.
2: Mm. Uh, How so, the,
5: how's how's it different well of uh, musicians are obsessed with things that are permanent
2: oh i bet i'm sure and the
5: energy the energy i mean we you know um wild up is a ensemble that loves to improvise and stuff and we're, we love to just be like this, today this is today go mm-hmm. and but when we go into the studio it is a different thing and
6: right. everybody
5: you know you see everyone kind of gets there they have their zone and they have their their water bottle the right way and they have their tea and they're kind of like okay you know there's like this different energy that is like quite ferocious uh-huh. and and it's ferocious about being perfect forever right and it's it's a it's a different thing and so of course then it's my goal to be like okay now this has to be perfect just the once yeah and also we has to be perfect here in the heart as well mm. you know if we just get it perfect on our instrument like we're we're not in good shape right, like right. that's that was where we, we won't feel it uh-huh. um so so yeah so it's 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 a it's a cool thing but it's very very detail oriented um it you have to build extra time so we've done that um and then kind of we prep prep everything get it to the place and we kind of present it um in in a similar way that we would for a show we get everything ready we do it once and then janet's like i have these 15 notes this 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 right but as we know it's going to be kind of permanent it's a different thing and we have the notes have to be a little more specific also I have to do a lot of prep work to figure out where all the edits are so if Mm -hmm. we if we like one version of one section we can get that one version Mm -hmm. um so it's a there's a a collage part of the of the work
2: I was going to ask that actually, because speaking of permanency, it makes me think of Michael, we did a few, not nearly as many as the dancers used to do um, in generations before us, but like a TV, you know, a PBS special when we were at Miami city ballet and just the amount of takes and, you know, and it it is that permanency, you know, like where we would normally just like do the ballet and be done and walk off stage, you know, it was just so different. So I can imagine it's quite similar and finding where they can do the cuts, like you mentioned as well.
5: Precisely yeah it's a different I mean I think you're it's it's a a different kind of a thought process a different beast Um, yeah and 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 still so many of the best recordings ever are all in one take so there's that Mm -hmm. thing of like how do we how do we build something that works and is totally cohesive Mm -hmm. and feels as if it is one arc um, when perhaps it could be I mean in some cases people are doing one bar at a time you know Mm -hmm. we're not going to do that.
6: Right. Um, right. There,
5: but there are some pieces of new music where it's so challenging that everyone's like, OK, let's just do that one bar. It's just yeah. death defined. Let's just get it. And they just drop it in. And they do the one bar. it wow. so,
4: doesn't seem fair somehow.
5: It. it I mean, it, it is not fair, it, but you can hear it. You can hear it.
4: I would bet. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
5: So a lot of our recordings we've been doing, we'll do one big take of something mm-hmm. and then we'll find all of the one bars to drop in. After. So we're like we nailed it. We put in this one note. Great. Done. Right. You know, right. And and which is tricky, but but it can work. So. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: so how many how many works are you all recording together?
4: Maybe maybe oh, eight. Have I yeah, that sounds the, right. I don't think I've eight. counted. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. They run, run the gamut from really early stuff by Louis Horst, um, like Frontier, as uh, the solo she did in 1935. But we're also doing Lamentation, which is not Louis Horst, that's Kodai. Um, two diversion of angels in forty-eight, and um, well, chronicle is thirty. Um, so it's 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 a range. And chronicle has I, I don't know how many players, Chris, but um, chronicle is
5: just in the low thirties. So it's the chronicle's yeah. the biggest, the biggest mm-hmm. uh, the group, biggest. and and wow. and we have you know things that are down to chamber chamber. Um, yeah,
3: and, and these right. are
2: such important hallmarks of your repertoire. Right. So. No matter where our listeners are, it's possible that the next time they see the Graham Company, they're going to be hearing this recording.
4: So cool!
5: That's the plan.
3: Yeah,
4: the yeah. sooner, the better.
3: It's well, <laughs> just been right. so fascinating. But I, I'm wondering, before we wrap up, is there a dream project, maybe an idea, Janet? You have of a, a work that you would like to bring Chris's expertise into, like um, the next big Graham reimagining.
5: Chris, shall we talk about it? Yeah, you yeah. Have I think one this plan. is like spoiler alert. I yes, mean, spoiler alert. We you cool. Go, go, go ahead.
2: Exclusive.
4: Well, we are talking about you know Martha only did one full evening-length work, and it's Clytemnestra. Uh, it's the Trojan War. And all the characters: Agamemnon, Electra, mm-hmm. Cassandra, the works, um, and uh, it's renowned as a as a dance, but we really think that it's got potential to be turned into an opera and to borrow elements of Graham's choreography, mm-hmm. borrow elements of the Naguchi set, possibly elements of the score. we're We're not sure exactly how much we'd like to mess with it. Well, we, we know we'd like to mess with it a lot, but <laughs> we're, we want to put together a creative team that um, will uh, take whatever elements they think will work well into creating the contemporary opera out of, the, out of um, Martha Graham's work.
5: Yeah. It's a, and that's my the whole other part of my life is that I'm I do a lot of opera and a lot of new american opera i'm music director at long beach opera here which is like uh the, the longest running opera company in, in Southern California um, and also has been doing experimental work for its entire history. Right. Uh, hmm. So this is, you know, we'll see if Long Beach, if it ends up at Long Beach, actually, but certainly this is, that, that's a huge passion of mine. Right.
2: Wow. Uh, so is, yeah. is this just like a dream project or like maybe wheels are in motion or
5: uh, maybe we can a few conversations have happened, and we and we don't. We, we've got you know. I, certainly, my colleague uh, James Dara at Long Beach, who's a brilliant director, brilliant American director, lives in Los Angeles, um, is interested. So we'll we'll see if, if James takes it on. Um, and 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 we have it's it's in conversation. Um, right. And, and and there's that there's that big anniversary coming up, you know. so I feel right. like a big, Yeah. A, a big piece yeah. is appropriate. Uh
3: oh, I love yes. that. Our one hundredth is in twenty
4: twenty six. So we're hoping that in the next four years we can make this happen
2: well we'll have to have you guys back on to talk about it if that comes to fruition that sounds so fascinating and i'm sure there'll be so much to talk about so thank you guys so much this was so wonderful we wish we could be there to see it but we know that our listeners in la will definitely get their tickets go to the soraya see this oh what else is on the program other than canticle janet
4: uh, we're opening with Lamentation. We decided to do everything that was, well, not everything, but do three pieces that are going to be recorded.
0: So mm-hmm. we're
4: opening with 1930 Lamentation. We're going to Chronicle, which is 1936, Intermission, and then the new Canticle. Wonderful.
3: Awesome.
2: Well, we wish you guys the best. We know it's going to be wonderful and the audiences will love it.
3: Thank you both for joining us. so much. Great. Thank you. Pleasure.
6: Thank
5: Thanks you. for having us.